0: And happy Father's Day. So you've turned your way now to the fourth chapter, the book of Proverbs, and it deals with the whole matter of wisdom in the home. And we're going to be looking at that passage of Scripture, these 27 verses. They're highly relevant, very profound, deeply disturbing in some ways, and challenging on the other hand, encouraging to the heart. And I pray, Lord that they're going to minister to each and every need here. So let's look to our Lord again in prayer.
1: So in light, Father, of what has been read, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. Again, Father, we've come here now to see Jesus him only. We pray these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pam and I, the other night,
0: were watching a tribute to a particular father, George Herbert Walker Bush. It was given by his family. And I was so moved by what I watched, I also wanted to go to the blog that his daughter has posted regarding her reflections upon her father, and here are some of the thoughts that she shares. This week, I nervously watched my 90-year-old father parachute from a plane in Buckport, Maine. I guess I should not have been surprised. He was the youngest pilot in World War
1: II. Now he is probably one of the oldest skydivers. He has always been a risk-taker, brave and courageous in my eyes. And throughout his life, he
0: never shied away from taking bold steps. And whether it was serving in the military or as President of the United States, my father wanted to greatly contribute to our nation and to lead effectively. She goes on to write that behind the strong, bold leader lives a gentle giant. The most loving father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and husband. And as my parents have entered their golden years, I have seen their love only deepen.
1: He still views my mother as the most beautiful and smartest woman in the room. And
0: while my father cannot physically walk anymore, he continues to show me how to walk in the ways of the Lord that fully treasure each moment that God gives us. He's also teaching me the beauty of aging gracefully and the importance of family. His joyous and optimistic personality is contagious, and my friends would tell me that I am, quote, the most fortunate person in the world, unquote, because they all adored my father. And whether it was for going on picnics or leading games outside, my dad knew how to create quality time. He was never too busy for us. Growing up, I always felt the love and support of my dad, even when he was not always around. And although as a public servant, my father spent a lot of time on the road, he always had time to write letters to each of his five children, his wife and his friends. And he best expressed himself through the written word. And to this day, I have kept his
1: special letters, which he always signed, Devotedly, Dad. And I will never forget what he wrote. I love you more than tongue can tell.
0: There's a great opportunity that God gives us on a day like today to be able to pause, reflect, and to honor our fathers. And what I want to do this morning is to draw out three ideals, because sometimes we were raised in less than ideal situations, weren't we? And I know I personally am less than ideal. Ideal. But what we want to do is to draw our three significant ideals of the way in which we go about honoring our fathers this morning. And the first flows out of verse 1 down through verse 9. And we're going to put it like this. and Number one, we honor our father for the heritage of wisdom that he has established. And we're going to see that in verse 1 and down through verse 9. And so at the very onset of seeking to be able to establish a heritage for his family, where he not only looks at the generation, but is able with foresight as well as insight to look at generations to come, he takes initiative. Notice his initiative in verse 1 and 2. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts, and do not forsake my teaching. Now notice with me that one of the distinctives of strong leadership is taking initiative. This is not a passive man at this point. He takes the initiative, and he starts off the conversation. Hear, O sons, not, listen, Dad. Hear, O sons, my father's instruction. What fascinates us as he begins his teaching is that he balances the negative with the positive, the positive with the negative. Do you see the balance unfolding in front of your very eyes? He starts off, in this case, with the positive. Hear, O oh sons of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Here comes the negative. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Now, this wise father is the father who takes initiative. He's proactive. He is not Passive, and he is highly balanced in his approach. He doesn't emphasize the positive to the exclusion of the negative. He does not emphasize the negative to the exclusion of the positive. He's realistic about life because he's realistic about God's Word. We're talking the ideal. But what I also want you to notice here with me is this this father can only go so far. He can teach the truth, but it's the next generation that has to apply
1: the truth. He can instruct, but he cannot impose. He offers the instruction, but their responsibility is the application.
0: And so, here's the initiative in verse one. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. They have to listen, they have to be attentive, they have to make certain that they do not forsake this rich teaching. And so the parent and the child have got to be able to distinguish as to where does the responsibility begin, and where does the responsibility end. Who is to be proactive? When are we to be reactive? And how do we take this and transfer this into practical, everyday living? Once now, this wise man has demonstrated the mark of leadership, one of which is taking initiative. He now lays before us this heritage because he's not a singular generational man. He has got a multiple-generational plan in his mind. He's not merely looking at the next generation. He's not merely a man of eyesight, nor is he simply a man of insight. He is also a man of foresight. So he looks ahead and combines eyesight, insight, foresight, as he then now says to you and to me, When I was a son with my father. Now Solomon, at this point, is looking back to his relationship to David, his father. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. Stop right there. The word tender was a Hebrew word at this point that was used to describe a plant that needed to be adjusted in order to be able to take in the most amount of light possible for
1: healthy growth. It is a powerful image at this moment, when I was tender.
0: But the next phrase, the only one in the sight of my mother, the only one is the very same Hebrew word, which was used in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, to describe Abraham's relationship to Isaac. Yes, there was an Ishmael who came from Hagar, but at this point, the focus is the messianic plan. Abraham is working through Isaac and then through Jacob then on to Judah, leading to David through Solomon, ultimately towards that one born in Bethlehem to die in Calvary, Jesus. In other words, he has now got a messianic plan in his mind, and this is why God the Father could say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased at that point, of his baptism, Jesus Christ, which was the New Testament carryover of this Old
1: Testament phrase, the only one.
0: Now, when you and I begin to combine this, what we see here, furthermore, is that this father has brought the mother into the perspective of his sons. He... Draws her into this teaching. When I was a son with my father, Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, if this is Solomon, then he's talking about David, and he's talking about Bathsheba. Fascinating. Yet he goes on at this point to say, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. He is laying down a heritage. And as he lays a heritage, what he has done is he has stepped back in time and he's pondered the significance of the teachings that have been transferred through generations. And now he will share in turn with his sons who will include Rehoboam, who will not necessarily walk in all the ways of the Lord. But Solomon is taking initiative, and he wants to make certain that his sons are positioned to hear, though they are responsible to apply. Now, what you and I have to do at this point is realize that we are to learn from the past, but we're not to live in the past. As we sometimes have used this analogy, there's nothing more dangerous when you're driving than to be driving while remaining fixated, focused on the rearview mirror. You may be looking at what's behind you, but you're inattentive to what's ahead of you. What David is doing at this point, because wisdom requires this, is the ability and the capacity to make connections between past, present, and future. Where you learn from the past without living in the past. Which means that this wise parent is going to have to be able to distinguish. Distinguish between the timeless, the timely, and the time bound. For as God the Father did, in the fullness of time, he sent his Son. Now, you have to look, so to speak, for those fullness of time teaching moments, don't you? The wise father knows that proactively his responsibility is to teach, but to teach in accordance with the strategies of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where there are those relational times where you walk along the way and you introduce new eternal truth perspectives into the contemporary challenging issues of the moment. He's able to connect the timeless to the timely. And lo and behold, as he's cultivating now this whole matter of a heritage of wisdom, verse 5 stands out. Notice the phrase, get wisdom. I want you to notice with me how many times the word get appears in verse 5 and again in verse 7. Get wisdom, get insight, he writes in verse 5. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. You'll want to circle that word get. It appears periodically throughout your Old Testament. The word get carries with it the idea to purchase a movable good. Purchase movable goods. In other words, what you are doing, if you are a father, if you are a parent, is that you are empowering the next generation to become purchasing agents. Purchasing agents of wisdom. A purchasing agent is going to have to be able to see the correlation between value and price and develop the capacity to recognize where true value is found and not overspend on that which is not truly valuable, but rather to invest in that which is truly valuable to be able to see the distinctives and the correlations between price and value. This is found where he says, get wisdom. Let's let the Hebrew word appear on the screen in order to be able to get a sense of what we're talking about. The Hebrew word here is, Hukma. It's one of the great classic words of your Older Testament. Hebrew is read from right to left. This word, chokmah, a senior pastor has got to learn these, the, this language in divinity school, carries with it the idea of
1: masterful understanding, skill, expertise Now what he is saying at this point
0: Solomon Bathsheba to the children such as Rebom, you are being empowered now to become a purchasing agent of wisdom hokmah you are to cultivate a masterful understanding What you and I have got to be burdened for in our homes is, among other things, to cultivate a masterful understanding of the gospel. The gospel is the entire scope of God's redemptive work from Genesis through Revelation. Where we reach a point where that masterful understanding is such that we've equipped them so that they... Lord willing, embrace this truth, and it masters them. Our goal is for them to master it in this instruction in the immediate sense, so that in the ultimate sense, through the working of the Holy Spirit, it masters them. There is a mastery involved in this. And the Father is not the master. He is empowering this family and equipping this family to see truth and how it relates to life so that the true Father, heaven, masters this home. Now, this purchasing agent, then, has been equipped to understand the relationship of price to value and seeks, then, to cultivate masterful understanding, skill, expertise. And then Solomon goes on to say, get insight. In verse 7 we pick it up again and notice the significance of chokmah. The beginning of wisdom, chokmah, is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Become a purchaser of this, he would say. Now, he correlates this, of course, to Proverbs chapter 9. In verse 10, he would write that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In some ways, it almost takes wisdom to seek wisdom. Sometimes you might find yourself in a situation where you're trying to present wise truth in a wise way, and it's just simply not taking That person needs a hook to hang their coat, you see. This is what he's saying here. You've got to start with the understanding of the entire scope of God's redemptive plan. God, the sovereign, holy creator. Humanity fallen by nature. Jesus, the Redeemer. And he is doing this in such a way that what he's calling upon for you and for me to do is to be fully embracing what it is that God wants to say through it all. And the result is you're blessed. In verse 9, she'll place on your head a graceful garland and she'll bestow on you a beautiful crown. Last month at the end of a deacon meeting, deacon meetings are like elder meetings on Monday nights, and I sat down around 10 o'clock and I was unwinding and thought 10 on sports program. And what caught my attention was that they were doing an analysis of a pitcher who seems to have fallen into some hard times. He's getting hit hard. Boy, does that sound familiar? And what happened at this point was that there was a pitching coach that is examining now his pitching form. And he's saying, you have lost your release point, your point of release.
1: You're releasing the ball too soon. Moments later,
0: there was a football discussion then occurring. John Gruden was evaluating a quarterback who in the past year had fallen on hard times. And they and they put before this quarterback a scene, a football scene. He was um, defensive linemen were converging on him. Gruden stops the tape and he said, I want you to notice your release point. You're hanging on to the ball too long. I stop at that point and I recognize that there is a Proverbs 4 principle at work here. Because in this whole realm of parenting, in the fullness of time, God the Father sent his Son into the world. Likewise, then, the role of the parent is to be able to distinguish
1: the release point. Not too soon. Not too late.
0: You're not meant to hang on through the course of life. The question is a matter of wise timing. Chukmah, at what point do you release? Now, what I see here is that Solomon is equipping the family with sufficient understanding of release points. Long enough is the ball held in one's hand. Not too soon, yet not too late. You may find a lot of
1: obstacles,
0: but the challenge is to be able to make absolutely certain you are releasing at the strategic time. And so this heritage is being established here and what you find, and what I find, is that the key is chokmah, masterful understanding, but correlated to that word, that, that commercial word, get, and realizing that you are empowering purchasing agents to be able to acquire hukma whereby the family recognizes the value of wisdom, and does not merely settle for the price tags of what the world has to offer and what the world considers of highest value. He's lifting us because what we value will someday be evaluated, you see. We honor our Father, ideally, number one, for the heritage of wisdom that he has established. But number two, we honor our Father for... The path of wisdom, he has distinguished. You pick it up now in verse 10. And he says, hear, my son, and accept my words.
1: What's he doing? He's a leader. I love leaders.
0: He's taking initiative. Hear, my son, and notice the relational side of it all. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Now, what this father is going to do at this point is this. He is going to equip his home with the capacity to make distinctions. One of the key elements of Hokma is the ability to be able to Distinguish. And so now he first of all distinguishes, in verse 10 down to verse 13, the right path. In verse 11, we pick it up, he says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. It's verbal, and it is visual. I have taught you. I have led you. But notice something changes here between verse 11 and verse 12. The I have statements end. He now takes a step back. The next generation now is responsible. He's no longer talking about himself. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run you will not stumble. Notice the increasing pace of life. He's talking about walking, and then he's talking about running. Now the wise parent understands that life varies in terms of pace. And you equip the family to know when to walk and when to run. But he's no longer there. And so now they have been empowered, this next generation, to do this walking. They are empowered, this next generation, to do this running. But what they have been equipped with is the capacity to discern the right path. The question is, will they choose it? This is therefore the challenge, verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. So now he's laid before her, and he's laid before him the right path. It reminds me of that story of Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was of the Supreme Court prior generations. He was on a train, and he was reading his paper. Maybe you remember the story. A conductor comes by punching tickets. And the justice searched his coat. Pocket for the ticket, and then he searched his vest pocket and was coming up empty. So finally, the conductor, who recognized him, said, uh, Mr. Holmes, don't worry. I'm sure the Pennsylvania Railroad won't mind if you simply send your ticket to us when you find it. And then this distinguished jurist looked up at the conductor and said, quote, Sir, the problem
1: is not where is my ticket. The problem is where am I going? Now that's the issue of life. Because we are in a directionally impaired culture where people have taken the one way signs and reversed.
0: And are you willing to still go the right way when the culture has
1: reversed the one way sign? Elizabeth Elliot in her book A Slow and Certain Light
0: tells of two adventurers who stopped by to see her. All loaded with equipment for the rainforest east of the Andes, she writes They sought no advice. Just a few phrases to talk with the Indians. And she writes, Sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me. Confident and we think well informed, well equipped, but has it occurred to us that with all our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? She suggests that we often ask God for too little. We know what we need, a yes or no answer, please, to a simple question or perhaps a road sign. Something quick, easy to get us along the way. When what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone who has been there before and knows the way. The Someone who is the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father through
1: me, the exclusive way.
0: If the right path is pointed out in verse 10 through 13, the wrong path then is demarcated in verse 14 through 17. And notice now what he does. He has set up a contrast. And this father that we're honoring this morning works well with contrast. He's not always a matter of don't do this and don't do that, where he has created a sense of negativity about Christianity into the mindset, but rather he has balanced the right way with the wrong way, and then has equipped the next generation to be able to make the distinction and to apply it as they make decisions about whether or not they are going to enter that path. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Notice the progression of thought. And what I see here now is that chokmah, masterful understanding, not only involves making connections in time between the timeless and the timely, but furthermore, chokmah, masterful understanding, makes distinctions between paths, between the true and the false, between the right and the wrong. And then where life gets fuzzy, the good, the better, and the best, the safe and the risky, the attractive and the unattractive, and so on. Those areas are matters of degree. You know, if you're a parent and you are raising a child, You know that early on, uh, they start to make distinctions. That is a dog, and that is a cat. But it takes a little more maturing before they are able to look at a dog and say that is a German Shepherd, and that one's a Beagle, and that one's a Labrador Retriever, and, well, my son and daughter-in-law have a Leonberger. Boy, is he big.
1: and you make distinctions within the species. People need to advance
0: beyond distinguishing species and also reach a point of being able to develop the capacity to be able to distinguish within the species. Because part of wisdom, part of hokma, is the capacity to be able to make distinctions that bring honor and glory to God in keeping with the way in which he has created this universe. And so there's the doctrinal distinction, true versus false. There is the moral distinction, right versus wrong. And then there are the complexities of life, such as the good, the better, and the best. And then there are the personal issues, such as attractive versus unattractive, and so on, and matters of degree. But we don't turn them all into just simply attractive and unattractive, or good, better, and best. We are able to see what categories, hookma applies itself to in these various decisions that they're they're making. And I thought about that because in the whole realm of the path that God has ascribed for the family, Pilgrim's Progress immediately comes to mind when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life exclusivity. No one comes to the Father but through me. When Christian finds himself detouring off the road that God has ascribed. And... He's involved in a conversation with worldly wise and sir which is the way that I should go and worldly wise says see yonder hill and christian says yes and worldly wise says by that hill you must go and so bunyan tells us that christian turned off his way and his burden now seemed heavier rather than lighter to him than while he was walking In the way. Lo and behold, like Gandalf in Tolkien's writings, Evangelist now once again appears on the scene when Christian gets off the path and says, What dost thou here, Christian? He uses Old English. Evangelist then asks, Did I not direct thee the way to the little wicked gate? Yes, dear sir, said Christian. And then Evangelist asks, How is it then that thou art so quickly turned aside? For thou art now out of the way. And then evangelist, standing there with Christian, shows him the words of God. Look at this scene. And here you have the way, and here is the word of God in the hands of that pilgrim as he is traveling through life's journey is god's word guiding you is god's word equipping you to be able to make the distinctions that god has called you and me to make so there is there's a third ideal here beginning in verse 20 through verse 27, that thirdly, what we're able to ideally say is that we honor our Father for the disciplines of wisdom he has emphasized. I'm simply going to summarize. I want you to notice with me here what we will now call spiritual anatomy. He's going to take some body parts, and he's going to apply truth physically, for the sake of applying it spiritually. For example, there's the discipline of the ears in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That's the son's responsibility, the discipline of the ears. Then there's the discipline of the heart, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life, which is a verse worth memorizing. John Quincy Adams wrote this to his daughter when she was going through some hard times. Daughter, get you an honest man for a husband and keep him honest. No matter whether he is rich, provided he be independent, regard the honor and moral character of the man more than any other circumstances, Think of no other greatness than that of the soul, no other riches but those of the heart.
1: When you're equipping the family to even eventually consider matters pertaining to marriage,
0: equip that son, equip that daughter along the way to be able to discern chokmah. Is that person that I'm about to marry, consider marrying
1: or pondering maybe someday marrying guided by chokmah. Have they become a purchasing agent of chokmah? Am I? The disciplines of the ears,
0: the discipline of the heart. Verse 24, put away your, your crooked speech, put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you.
1: The discipline of the mouth. Verse 25. The discipline of the eyes.
0: Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. And then brilliantly now, what Solomon does, taking you through this succinct course in spiritual anatomy, he summarizes. Ponder the path of your feet. The Hebrew word for ponder here carries with the idea of to weigh carefully. It is used elsewhere in Proverbs to describe scales that a butcher would use when weighing something in order to be able to determine the price. Weigh now the price you're about to pay with regard to the path you're about to take. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve, he says, to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. John Berger's father was a teacher. He writes, we were my father's most important students, speaking of the children in that home. And then extracting a conversation from a movie he had seen called There Be Dragons, offers us this quote. Taken from a reflective person by the name of Monolo. Monolo said, My father had more money, more homes,
1: more cars. But then, speaking of Josemaria, turns and says, But Josemaria had more dad. It makes you think, because now, where there's more dad,
0: there ought to be as a result more hukmah. And this masterful understanding of what God's word says should result in the Lord becoming master of your life.
1: Aren't you awed
0: with the cross of Jesus? Because the first statement
1: on that cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the last statement on that cross was,
0: Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And what the earthly father ideally is set to do is to point towards that relationship with the Father and Son of eternity where the Son, in the fullness of time, was sent into this world to die for our sins. And now we've got Hokma on our hands here.
1: And the question is, what will we do with it? Let's stand together.
0: So, Father, we thank you now for the way in which you guide us and instruct us and equip us for life. And these principles transcend the biological or adoptive father-child relationship. They permeate all relationships, and they impact all decisions. So I pray that if there's a word we walk out of here now, and go into adult Bible fellowships and the likes and get engaged and involved in life today and the days to come. Hokma, Making connections between the timeless and the timely. Making distinctions between the true and the
1: false, the right and the
0: wrong. And allowing you to be a master over
1: our lives. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.